Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Well, starting and running a successful business requires you to constantly experiment with ideas and adapt on the fly. My guest today has become a master at testing ideas quickly in his entrepreneurial ventures, which has allowed him to start several million-dollar businesses. He's taken that test and adapt philosophy and also applied it to his life, his personal life, to become physically stronger, more resilient, and more productive. His name is Noah Kagan. He's the CEO of AppSumo, and he shares his musings on business at his blog, okdork.com. That's right, OK dork.com. Today on the show, Noah shares what it was like getting fired from Facebook right before it went public and losing out on a $185 million payday and how he bounced back from that blow. He then digs into the process he goes through in testing if a business idea is viable and how he used that process to start, start several successful ventures. Noah then shares the difference between founding a business and managing a business and why managers get the short shrift in today's startup-focused world. And we end our conversation by talking about how you can run a personal experiment in your life to create a better and more satisfying satisfying life and how to run a diagnostic on yourself just as you would with your car. Lots of actionable advice in this episode. After it's over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash Kagan, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. All right, Noah Kagan, welcome to the show. Brett McKay, what up, doc? How's it going? Well, Noah, we, I've been a big fan of your work. I've used your service AppSumo. I get your emails and I've gotten some really cool things from that. You're an interesting guy because you wear a lot of different hats, but you primarily made your way in life as an entrepreneur, business owner. So I want to talk a little bit about that, but then we're also talking about some of the other things you've been doing with your life. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit about your background because it is a pretty interesting one. It's varied. Yeah. Uh, born and raised in San Jose, California, representing the 408. I had a pretty traditional, like, I'd say beginning. Like, I, I did the college path, which you know, I've kind of reevaluated now. And then after that, I went and worked at Intel. So I was like a, a pretty much corporate monkey. I'm single, 35, still haven't had kids or gotten married yet. And then professionally, I kind of went through like a startup path where I worked. At, I was one of the early people at Facebook and Mint.com. And then I kind of had a quarter life crisis and was like, I want to go work in Argentina or Thailand. And I started a Facebook games company. Those are knowing games that spammed everyone. And that kind of led me on this journey, living there, living in Europe, getting sued by large companies, getting banned by Facebook uh, and ending up now in Austin, Texas. I've been here about seven years running Sumo.com and AppSumo.com, which is basically where the short of it is like we help the underdogs. So we help the little guys or people with websites uh, do better. So you worked for Facebook and then got banned by Facebook with your other business. Yeah, I've had uh, not a great time with them. <laughs> yeah, when we were when I was working there, after about nine months, I got fired. And 
it's one of these things in retrospect. I think when you get fired, it's a great, it's a great thing to get fired. It's like such a good thing because you know what that feels like. And it's a really great chance to grow. And at that time it sucked though, man, like Facebook was my identity. And I think what that's, that was kind of an interesting moment where I was like, Oh wow, what happens when your identity gets removed or someone else has kind of control or impact over your identity? Uh, and that kind of gives you that, like that time to be like, well, shit, I need to figure out who I am because who I was, was Facebook. And so, yeah, that was rough. That, that was a really rough period. And I mean, you, you got, uh, you fired from them. Like, I think shortly after, I think if I remember correctly, like they went public and you missed out on the big IPO. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, what's crazy is like, even now I still see how rich they are. Like Dustin, these guys I worked with were, are multi-billionaires. One of the guys is literally in Austin where I live building a hotel. <laughs> like one of the guys, another guy was complaining about how his McLaren rims almost got stolen. <laughs> and, you know, I think what's interesting about money is people think once you get this money, it'll make your life happier. I think that's a big misconception, especially now as I've you know started businesses and made some money. It doesn't really change who you're going to be or who you actually are right now. And people kind of believe it will. And so I, I spent a lot of time being like, well, what do I really want to buy? And is there anything I really need with money? And how do I want money to interact with my life? Because I think there was two parts of it. There was working on something like Facebook, which I liked working on because I thought it impacted people positively. I actually don't think they're as positive anymore. But secondly, I did think that that was one part. And the second part was I'm making money and I want to make a lot of money. And so I just had to evaluate how do I work, go back and work on something I think is a positive impact. And then secondly, what do I really need money for and how much do I want? I actually had a funny thing lately. I bought a really expensive thing. Like, so let's say I made a bunch of money. I went and bought a fancy car, a Jaguar. And I was actually miserable. Like I bought this fancy car that you'd imagine, oh, he's got a cool car. That He must be happier now. And I, I was unhappy the first day I got it. And the happiest day was when I sold it. And I, and I just bought a 2004 Miata and I'm ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's been, it, it was interesting to kind of reflect on like, you know, what really matters to you and then spend money and your time on those things. So would you say that in the beginning of your career, you were chasing dollars more than anything or was it, I mean, what were you going after early on in your career? That's interesting. I've never thought about that. I've kind of followed a little bit of a mantra of just have fun. And I know that might seem too simple for a lot of people, but that's kind of worked well for me. With Facebook in, in the early days, yeah, I would say I was a little bit more opportunistic. And I think your 20s are your time where you literally, you're just, you frankly, 20s should just be working hard. That's all you should do in your 20s. And then when you get to your 30s, you're like, holy crap, like, let me work smart now. And maybe people in their 20s will figure that out. But yeah, my 20s, I would say I worked at Intel because I wanted to, I always wanted to run my own business. And I knew that was my stepping stone where Intel would be my venture capitalist, meaning that like, I could have a nine to five and then at five, like my brain is mine again. Frankly, my brain was mine the whole time. I didn't really do much work there, but it, but it gave me a chance at five o'clock and then in the mornings and on weekends, I could do whatever I wanted. So I was already always starting my own businesses. And then Facebook, it was more like, I just applied on a fluke. Uh, and I, I kind of was like, well, I like the product. I want to work on products I like. A lot of people, if they're like, well, what should I work on? I'm like, just go look on your phone or look on the web or look at restaurants or services and go work for one of them. And so I did that. And, um, after Facebook, though, and, and Mint, I'd say I was a little more opportunistic where I was like, oh, how can I make more money? And those have always backfired on me personally. And I'm, for some people, maybe do it and sell credit cards or whatever you do and go for it. But I just kind of found that didn't really give me a lot of satisfaction. And I didn't find it super sustainable. Uh, even as I made money, I was like, this just doesn't get, fulfill me even though I'm making money. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people figure out. Uh, so there's other, there's a lot of things, you know, you, you said a lot of things that have stuck out to me. You, you mentioned that you thought Facebook was a good service in the beginning, but doesn't have anything positive anymore. What do you think's changed and why do you feel that way? 
Yeah, I've thought about this a lot. I think about what are the company's incentives, right? And what are my incentives? And are they aligned? And Facebook is not. Like, so Facebook is designated. Like, like they literally have a thousand people and their jobs are to keep your attention in Facebook world. And it's addicting. And why is it addicting? Because they're engineering it. And do I think we're actually making, it's making life better at this point? I don't think so. I think the original premise of being able to connect with maybe like Brett, who I don't get to talk to as often, was helpful. But now like they've engineered a system where like news and people I don't care about and photos I don't care about uh, and all these kind of mechanisms to just keep me scrolling, I don't think make my life better. And so I've been on a fight to actually like remove Facebook from my phone. I use a Chrome extension called Newsfeed Eradicator and really look at Facebook as a business tool. And then I have a small network of friends that I like, frankly, either with text or phone calls or email or in person, uh, I find myself more present. And I, and I think it's like, they're not, they're not encouraging like, Hey, get offline, go actually meet people and enjoy people. It's like at dinner now, family dinners are family phone dinners. And I think that's disgusting. Like I was last night, I was out uh, at a nice restaurant and the whole family doesn't talk. They're on their phone scrolling. <laughs> and I'm just like, like, this is not the future I want to help encourage. Right. Yeah. And they just came out, I guess yesterday they had their F8 thing, their big conference. Like now they're going to have like virtual reality, Facebook. I think augmented reality. That could be cool. Facebook. You think so? I think there's some, I think there could be positive things they can do. I just think it's a lot of responsibility when you have a billion people's attention, like how you choose to impact that. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. I've, I haven't really been on Facebook much personally. I use it as a business. Yeah. I just use it as a business tool primarily. Yeah, I mean, they're, in, they're encouraged to get you to stick around and, and just stare at their stuff as long as possible. That's why I like the Newsfeed Eradicator. That's like one thing I did, Brett, that, that really changed the game for me is I removed all social apps from my phone and I turn off all notifications on my phone. And it's just like, I have Snapchat on because I spend like a minute a day on it and it don't, it's not addicting because there's only, literally I only get a minute because there's not much more to do. And I'm just like, oh my God, I have all this time back that isn't like wasteful or mindless time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. What can I actually use that would be actually more interesting or more like, fulfilling to my brain? So like, is there learning? Are there actual real relationships? Are there podcasts or books or whatever it is? Uh, and you get a lot of time back. Even 15 minutes a day is about a week after a year. So 15 minutes a day of wasting on Facebook, if you add that up after a year, it's a, it's a week of life that you've just given up for nothing. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't even, I think quitting social media is not even the time aspect. Um, like when you're actually doing the activity, it's like the mental bandwidth because you're, you're often still thinking about something that you saw on Facebook that pissed you off like an hour later, right? And it's just... That, that, dude, that's so true. I remember I remember the moment, it was uh, in January where I just deleted everything. I woke up, I went to my phone, I'm scrolling. And then after the 15 minutes, I was like, is my life better or worse or the same after this? And I was like, I would say it's kind of like worse to the same. And I was like, well, that's it sounds like an empty calorie. <laughs> so it's like in other parts of my life, I wouldn't waste 15 minutes and, and not expect something back from it. So gave it up and I'm just like, I don't, you forget about it. You're like, oh wow. Like, why am I not wasting that much time anymore on those things? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I, I don't have Twitter on my phone. Don't have Facebook on my phone. I really don't have a personal Facebook account. Uh, and my life is better. And I, I feel like when I'm also, sometimes I'll slip in where I'll start to do a lot of browsing on my browser Yeah, on Twitter and Facebook. That can be, but I've noticed when I've put in blocks and constraints, I'm just a lot happier whenever I do those things. So, dude, I use this uh, Chrome extension, and I probably probably have it for Firefox. And I just started using this one called Blocksite. So I have Newsfeed Eradicator, which I love, but Blocksite's a new one, and it basically you tell it your sites that you want to block and what times. So I block like Reddit, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook from from the morning until twelve. And what actually is interesting, besides it, you know, I thought when I heard people tell me about using this stuff, I was like, oh my god, do you just not have no self control? 
And I thought that was kind of a weakness, but it's like, no, it actually helps me. But what was more interesting for me is how much mindlessly I go to those websites. That's been actually the really surprising thing. I'm like, it'll be like, you've gone five times to Facebook this morning. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't even realize I'm going. Or if you Twitter or YouTube, whatever it is, you click a link to some from somewhere else. And uh, it's just a good like, okay, cool. Take a moment to stop and think about it before that's actually something I want to be doing. Right. Yeah. My wife and I call that mindless, you know, the, the sequence of websites you visit, right? Mindlessly. We call it the wheel. Totally. The wheel. Yes. What are you doing? So yes, sometimes like, we'll like catch you there. What are you doing right now? Are you spinning the wheel? I'm spinning the wheel. Shame. You know, we say that shamelessly, you know, with, with, with shame. Dude, have you ever read the book Mindless Eating, by the way? I, I have not, but I, I've heard of the, heard of it. If you get it, if you're in, if anyone wants to like improve their health and, and not want to diet, like go read Mindless Eating. It's basically the same concept with food. It's like all these, it's like very tactical, interesting strategies about how like when you eat chips, you just like pull them out. Of, if you just eat them out of the bag, you'll eat more than if you just take them out of the bag, put them on a plate and eat it off the plate. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, don't do that. Um, <laughs> Man, we're so discouraging. <laughs> I am so discouraging, not you. I, I will take right. credit. Well, I mean, let's talk more about your, your business and how you've decided. So you've started lots of businesses in your, I mean, you're only 35 and you've started several businesses. I'm curious, have there like, is there a guiding principle? I guess you mentioned your guiding principles, like if something, it's fun, you enjoy doing it, you're going to start a business there. So is your kind of mantra follow your passion or do you actually also look for needs in the market and try to fill them? Because, you know, I hear that you hear the vice, you know, follow your passion, but like, you know, there's not a, a market for a professional pancake eater. Um, you're not going to make any money. So how do you navigate, you know, both finding something that you enjoy doing that is also serving a need in the market? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I was at the DMV yesterday and the lady was like, I was getting a custom license plate, uh, sumo.com. And <laughs> she's like, oh, I can't wait to get off work. And I was like, why? She's like, oh, it's just a job. And I was like, well, what would make you look forward to work? She's like, well, this is not my career. This is just my job. And that really resonated with me. And I think that's one of my missions here on, on this planet is like, I love when people love their work. And I think it comes from my mom hating her, her, her work being a nurse. She always complained about being a nurse. And I think it kind of leads to me for others, but also for myself, that my guiding principle is just like, find work that I want to work on and is interesting for me and problems that are interesting for me to solve. Either someone else has already figured it out, so I joined them like Facebook and Mint did, or I create it myself, like AppSumo and Sumo, or like even my like my podcast or my blog. Like I like okdork.com. I, I do it for free because that's just what I'm interested in. So yeah, I'm I guess I'd be in the camp of I don't know about passion. I don't I think passion can fade, right? It's like when you meet some a new girl, you're like, oh, this is so exciting. Then after a month, you're like, oh, I hate her toenails. Uh, but it's like find something that you, you can sustainably be interested in and solve yourself. And I think your second part is actually really key, which is like you do have to validate that there's a market for it. I think the problem that most people make with that though is that they're not willing to actually sustain or persist through discomfort for a long period of time. Meaning that like, yes, now with Sumo Group, our company uh, that we run AppSumo and Sumo through, like it makes an eight-figure business and that's, it's very healthy, that's great, it's bootstrapped, but that's also taken seven years. And I think when I've heard a lot of people and a lot of people come to me for how to start a business because I've done it a number of times, they're not willing to actually put in seven years of work or even a year. Like go put in one year of hard work towards any of your ideas and I promise you'll be successful to some degree or you'll be further ahead than you were before. Uh, but most people do it for a week to an idea that they like and they're like, it didn't work. And I'm like, okay, it's a week. Let's go another week and have an accountability buddy and, and that'll even help you more. But the point is, is that find something you're interested in and what I encourage people is like, how do you find a customer or validate that there's a business for it 
So you get some indication of that right away, right? Like how do you find, and I was encouraged, like if you're trying to think of a business idea, see if you can find three customers in 48 hours and don't spend any money. And the reason I've kind of kind of followed this principle is, as I've done businesses uh, and they seem to be working is that I've spent a lot, I've done the opposite where I've spent a lot of time and a lot of money on an idea that never worked. And it's like, all right, well, if I have a business idea, let me just find something that I'm, I'm curious about. Let me see if I can find a customer. And if there is, then you know, let me go explore that a lot deeper. And so how do you go about finding, like testing that, whether there's a customer, you just like, you put an ad on Craigslist. What do you do to validate that quickly? Yeah. So I'm going to give for, for any of your listeners, I, and here's a common theme. I'll, I'll give you two examples. A common thing people say is like, oh, I don't have any ideas. I got nothing. Uh, here's the stupidest idea that literally everyone can do and they could all do it within the next hour while they're listening to the show. They can even do it on their phone. All you have to do is very, very simple. Go to your house, grab all your junk and put it on eBay. And that is your first business. And I think that's one of these businesses that I'm like, you could start that today. And then what happens though, is that most businesses evolve. Like what you started in the beginning of Art of Manliness is not what you're doing now. Like you're still doing the blogging. The foundation is there, but like you have strenuous life and you have a store and you have like a YouTube channel. You pause on that. Then you got a podcast. Like you didn't start with all that. You evolved. Right. And I think people don't realize that businesses evolve. Like I started AppSumo as a deal site for a daily deals bundle site for software. And now we have marketing tools that grow people's email lists with sumo.com. And I'm actually spending my whole day creating content. Right with OK Dork or the podcast or YouTube, that's not what I started in the beginning. But people kind of psych themselves out. So the point is with the eBay thing, go list stuff on eBay, Craigslist, Amazon, and then you'll actually be like, oh my god, there's a market for ukuleles. And then the second idea, second thing you could do with that is like, just go right now on your phone, text your friends, be like, hey man or hey girl, can you put a pile of all the things you don't want in your house somewhere? Just put it in a corner, and I'll come over grab everything and sell it for them. And literally, you could start this business today. Because I've been doing that. I've been like, I found a guy. I was like, can you just take all my stuff, sell it, and give me whatever you want? And it's a way to kind of just get momentum going. And that's what I, I find in business that people want. Another example that, that I've done recently, I, I started a thing called Sumo Gum. So I'm a big gum chewer. And I was at a store looking for new Trident Layers flavors. I don't know if, are you a gum chewer, Brett? I am a gum chewer. Yeah. And, I, don't have a, I don't have a preference. It's just whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. Dude, go try I mean, I don't like, layers, man. I don't like fruit stripe. I mean, it's like, I mean, if someone offered me, I won't do that. But <laughs> anything else is good. Fruit stripe, dude. Right. Uh, so I was in the store and there was no new flavors. They don't innovate in the gum category. And I was like, man, I really want new flavors. And I think if people, if, if here's the easiest way to start a business, just notice what you complain about during your day and just solve that. And no matter what, you'll have one happy customer. And for me, it was gum. So I was like, you know, I'd like to get more gum. Uh, flavors. So I was like, what would be a cool flavor for me? And the flavor I thought of was caffeinated coffee gum. I drink coffee and it'd be cool to have caffeine in a gum. And so I hit up a few people. And so I thought it was an interesting idea. I hit up a few people and, and I was kind of doing it as like a good reminder to sharpen my saw and stay fresh with like how to start businesses. Cause I think as we get older, we get a little of it's less naive or less fresh. And so I like to kind of remi- refresh myself once in a while. And so I hit up a few people, as I was mentioning earlier, I hit up a few people and said, hey, will you give me $10 for caffeinated coffee gum? And then they did. So I was like, all right, cool. I know people will want it. Now let me go make it for them. And so I ended up hiring a friend who was a good cook. I said, hey, can you just figure out how to make this? And she was really creative, actually. What she did is that she went on Amazon and bought a, a gum kit from Glee Gum. I, I think it's like 20 bucks or something like that. And it's like how to make gum kit with all the ingredients. And so she bought that. 
coffee, grounded coffee and caffeine powder all off Amazon, mixed it together, wrapped it in parchment paper and gave me ba- like Ziploc bags of coffee gum. And that was kind of the beginning. And so it's something that I'm not as inter- I'm not interested in pursuing as like, this is where I want to spend the next year on. But it was a good reminder of like, all right, here are the fundamentals that work in starting a business. And the beauty, Brett, I think for people who are interested in starting a business is that if it did not work, if no one wanted it, that's amazing. Because I didn't have to spend six months making a gum product to then find out that no one wants it. Right. So you just, I, I did something really fast, failed fast, and no harm, no foul. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that's the point of it is that most people, it's easier to play business than actually run a business and do the hard part of business. Like we started this course. Everyone kept asking me how I, how I started these companies. And I was like, well, I'll put it in a course. And I, and I sold the course and no one bought it. <laughs> and I was like, I guess you guys don't really want it. But what they wanted was they were afraid of asking for things. They were actually afraid more than even, like the getting started part was just them being so afraid of rejection. And I'm still afraid of rejection. I'm not a superhuman. I'm, I'm scared. And so I have to put myself in, in discomfort to keep practicing getting over it like a muscle, like a gym. And so in the course, we actually came up with a bunch of challenges for people to get over asking for things. Uh, so the most famous one that, that seems to be always popular is called the coffee challenge. I don't know. Are you familiar with that? I'm not familiar with the coffee challenge. Hit me with it. Dude, this is game changing. And if you do it, like I, I think you should do it. If you try it this week, you'll learn a lot of, you'll learn more about yourself through this than anything else you've done this week. I promise you that for you, Brett, or for anyone else who's done it, is that next time you go to get coffee, and I, I encourage you to go to Starbucks, and if you don't drink coffee, next time you go anywhere to buy something, you ask for 10% off. And they're going to look at you and be like, why? And you're just be like, just because. And the whole point, and then you may get it, you may not. The point is not about getting the discount. The point is about potentially getting rejected, realizing you're okay, and moving forward. In business, the fundamentals of business is fundamentally, I have this thing I want to give you or I want to sell you. You exchange your money for it. And what you're, what you're literally doing is asking. You're asking for something in exchange for something else. And the more that you can get comfortable that if someone rejects, rejects it, it's not rejecting you. It's just rejecting what you're offering. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Let me go ask the next person. And let me learn from that experience versus... Uh, most people don't even want to get to that point. So I found the coffee challenges. A lot of people have a breakthrough once they've done it because done it, they're like, oh man, like I got rejected. I'm still okay. Now let me go apply this in, in bigger concepts in my life, in business or in personal. That's awesome. And then sometimes you will get the 10% discount. Yeah, I still do it. Like I was talking to this crazy rich uh, guy who runs a restaurant and uh, he's, he told me he asked for a discount. I'm like, dude, you're rich. You're so rich. Why'd you ask for a discount? He's like, that's why I'm rich. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good lesson. It's been, a, I, I still do it and I still try to even put myself in uncomfortable things to be able to overcome them. And like, you know, you kind of practice things as a muscle. It makes them easier to do. Right. And I think it's also, it's, it's good to, you know, being on the other side of that ask, right? Because I, I think sometimes people get uncomfortable. It's like, what are you doing? Like, what do you mean you want that? And they get all upset about it. But like part of business is people are going to ask you for things you might not be comfortable with and you have to learn how to say no and not get personal about it, not get huffy about it. Just keep it, uh, keep it business. Like, I think that's a great point. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I thought about that last night, uh, cause someone wanted to hang out and I said, no. And it's not that I'm better or greater than anyone it had nothing to do with that, but I don't think we practice saying no to things. And that enabled same with the, the social media stuff, like having less of that enables me to have more of what I want. And saying no to people that I don't really want to hang out enables me to spend even more time alone or more time with the people that I really get a lot out of. Right. That's a great point. Got to learn how to say no. Well, let's talk about this. You've started a lot of businesses. 
And I, and I think online, you probably see it too. There is this, I would say, a cult of the startup founder, right? We admire these guys. Uh, we admire these young guys who start businesses and then sell them off quickly so they can move on and, and start another business. But you've stuck around with AppSumo for a while. Would you say seven years? Yeah. Yeah, it's my longest relationship. Right. So, I mean, how is, I'm curious, as someone who's, who's started a lot of businesses, some of them failed, some of them, I don't know what else you've done with them, maybe sold them or moved on, but how is maintaining a business different from starting one? I and mean, what's been the thing that you've noticed? Yeah, I, I think everyone should try to find problems or businesses that they could work on for the rest of their life or fundamental problems that they're like, I'm just interested in this and I want to work on these things. And for me, like, just take six months and reflect what you've done in the six months that you would either do for free or that you've really liked and then figure out how you can do more of that. And for me, when I come down to it, Brett, it's like, I love promoting things. I love promoting people or products or services that I just think are amazing. And that's kind of what our businesses have always been about. For me, with in terms of people, like I, I think there's glamour. It's like, oh, they started this company and sold it for a billion. And I've seen a lot of, especially these people that made a lot of money at Facebook. Once you get all that money and you're now having it, what do you do all day? And a lot of them, I could tell are restless. And they're like, oh, I guess I'll do a charity or something like that. And so I think there's fine things that you're like, there's just, it never ends because you want to keep working on it. So for me, what I've actually had to embrace, there's been a few changes over the past seven years. So one, we have actually changed the business every 18 months, which I don't think has been healthy, meaning that we've evolved, right? We've added new pieces to it. And I think in business, it's easiest to just serve the same customers versus always trying to find the next one. It's like a drug addict, like just... Instead of trying to find new things, just like enjoy what you already have, enjoy it more. And same with customers, enjoy it more. What's been like the biggest breakthrough, uh, I'd say is two, two things. One, actually in, in the past two months, I've actually removed myself from the day-to-day operation. And what that came from was that I, was, I stopped apologizing for who I am and for who I want to be. And what that means is that I love starting companies. I love marketing. I love promoting, as, we were, as I was mentioning earlier. And as a company grows, there's, there's less of that. Or it's harder for me to find my place in that. And so it, it, got, it got challenging, right? And I don't want to just abandon the company or the people I get to work with, which I like, or the customers. So what I've done is like I focused on my sweet spot. And I think more people need to think of their businesses that way. Is that what, what, and everyone has a sweet spot, everyone out there, even the lazy person, right? Or even the person who's like, I got no skills. Like that's your skill that you have none, that you can't learn anything. <laughs> so... What I did is like, I was like, well, how do I hire people that actually their sweet spot is ma- sustaining something or maintaining something? And they love doing that and let them do that. And then let me go figure out new marketing stuff or start new kind of labs for Sumo. And that's been kind of a transition in the past, I don't know, four or five months. And it's been amazing. And I find that sustainable and not apologizing is, is that I felt like, oh, I always have to be the person that ever, others are expecting to like stick with it. And for me to be sustainable and stick with it, it's like I have to be doing the lab stuff and that's what sustains me and complimenting myself with the people who, like I have this guy, David, who I work with. I don't have him. David works with me and he loves doing operation stuff. And I'm like, you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, I love it. And I'm like, all right, you do this all day. Or Samantha does recruiting all day. I'm like, and I hate, I hate doing recruiting, literally. Uh, I love when we hire people and it works out, but I hated the recruiting part. And she is like, that's her favorite thing to do all day. And I'm like, you want to do this? She's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think you really have to figure out, you know, where is your sweet spot? How do you put yourself in that position and, and make it fun for yourself and enjoyable and sustainable, most importantly, and then get the people around you that can compliment you. Uh, the thing that, that, that kind of I've reflected on is like, think about all the people you admire. So for anyone who, whatever, this is in your earlobe for whoever is out there, 
like think about the companies or the people you admire and what is it about them that's appealing. And for me, you know, I think about Jeff Bezos, right? Like this guy is just, I'm so impressed with him and, and Amazon. And what it is is that they keep evolving, right? And the second part is that it takes time. And I think a lot of us as we're doing businesses, we're not willing to put in time. We're kind of wanting like this 15 second scroll instant gratification. And it doesn't happen that way when we're trying to create impressive things. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So that, that's kind of, that's what I've, where's where I've gotten to. It's like, it's going to take a long time. So how do I put myself in the place that I can be there and excited and have the people around me uh, that, that are in the same place too? And then what you said uh, made me think, so your, your sweet spot is, you know, starting things and experimenting and things like that. But there's some people who that's not their thing. Like they're good managers. And I think it's important for people to embrace that. Maybe you're not a founder and that's okay. Yeah. But I think I've oftentimes in this sort of online thing that there's this idea, if you're not a founder, if you're not starting businesses and like you're a sucker who's like working for the man yeah. and like you're, you're a slave, a wage slave, whatever. But like, no, maybe you can do something of value and provides because you have the talent for, you know, managing and making sure things are continue to grow and um, the thing that was started is sustained is sustained well you know I've thought about this a lot especially because I have people that I work with like there's you know others call them employees I call them teammates and I'm like well I don't want their I want their lives to be better from this and I don't want them feeling like they're working for them right or that Noah's their boss which they never call me their boss ever and what I realized is that being a founder or starting a business actually sucks and I, know, I think it's a little counterintuitive but being an employee is actually for the most part a better deal and I've come up with like a formula called the four P's. And it's basically like, it's not about being a founder or an employee. It's about what are the four P's of fundamentals that matter in business, right? And what people want out of a job or a career. And what they want is, right, they want to work on a product that they care about. They want to have some purpose of what they're working on. They want to get paid and they want to work around great people. And if you can get that at a job, right? Like if someone, if I could go to another company and they do those four, the four P's, then I would be there. I wouldn't be at Sumo. But at Sumo, I get that. And I want everyone who works with me to get paid. I want them to be around great people. I want to work their product like, and, and they have their purpose, what they're working on. And I think people are just concerned with like, oh, I'll get much more freedom. It'll be more fun. And I always joke there's a fifth P where when you run a company, you get more problems. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely good parts. And people say, well, you have more control or more freedom. It's like, you could find a job where you have control and freedom. And I just think people are kind of a little bit more enamored or glamorized that being an entrepreneur just automatically that happens when a lot of times being an employee is frankly going to be a better deal for most people. Right, because you can take the weekends off while the the founder is trying to figure out what to do with this fire that started. Yeah, I, you know, we got sued a few weeks ago. Our lawsuit was sent to us. Like, I'm getting deposed about another company. And not that lawsuits always happen. They don't. But it's generally a sign that things have done well for you to some extent. But you just have to deal with like our taxes or the accountants or the parts that are not sexy that a lot of people, when they, they see success, they don't see the, the hard work or the, the, I guess, the long times of, of struggle or suffering that goes into where that, where, to get to that point. Like, you know, I got paid 40000 a year for the first few years of the company, 40000 and then 70000 when I was making big six figures before that, when I was working at a job. And only, in, and this is a crazy thing, Brett, I actually did the math. Only until a year ago did I actually make more money starting a business. This is after nearly 10 years. After 10 years, literally two years ago, did I make more money than if I just kept a regular job? Wow. And considering inflation and interest and all the, and even, you know, and all these things, I actually ran the numbers and it was actually almost better to be an employee. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I did the numbers. I was like, you know, cause we always assume, oh, you start your business, you can make a bunch of money. And it's like, well, finally after 10 years, I'm making a little bit more, but it took a long time to get that. 
Something to think about if you're thinking about starting a business. That, that shouldn't deter you necessarily from starting a business, <laughs> but it's, it's no, a factor to, to consider, right? That maybe people yeah. aren't considering. Yeah. I mean, starting a business is great because you're solving a problem that you're interested in and you do have a little bit more direction of where the ship goes to some extent. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, it's just as good. To, like, if I could go work on a problem that I'm really excited about and I could have a huge impact on it and I get paid really well and I get all these things that I want for peas, I'm like, well, great. I don't need to be the founder. Some great solid advice there. So let's talk about, let's, let's transition more to like personal, even, but I think what we've been talking about is personal, but, <laughs> yeah. but like besides testing things in your business and experimenting, uh, you're constantly testing things in your life so you can improve it. And you've written about this concept of the self-diagnostic or diagnose. What's the word? Diagnostic, Diagnosis. Yeah. It's like basically what you do on a car. <laughs> yeah. It's like what you do on a car, like to, to figure out what's going on with the car. So what, What's involved in your self-diagnostic evaluation to figure out how you can improve? The yeah, self-diagnostic is interesting. So, just as an example, this morning I sit, I get a really nice chair. So, get something comfortable that you're looking forward to. And I, I have this nice chair. And the point of right, I have a nice chair is like makes things easy to enable yourselves to do them. And what does that mean? It's like get yourself better shoes so you're actually more likely to go running, or get a chair so you're more likely to use it, or a desk or whatever that is. Especially things that you use a lot of the time. And so in the morning, I basically just do a self-diagnostic and reflect. I just sit down and I sit and I think about, all right, how's myself? How's my work? How's my relationships? And then the last part is like, how do I want the day to look? And so today, actually, like doing this led me to a lot of really good insights. And I, I think the like meditation, I, have, I don't understand it. It's like, think too much, but don't think too much. I'm like, I, I don't know which one to do. I guess that's maybe why I dropped out of philosophy class. And so like today, it led me to like make a note to like contact Michael Dell. I want to try to get him on my my podcast. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's an interesting one. Or I was thinking about buying these car rims because I'm. I told you I'm fixing up that Miata, and I was like, yeah, just go for it. Even though there's only two of them, and I have to find the other two, I was like, there's. I, I have confidence. I'll find the other two rims. And sometimes it's silly things like that, and sometimes it's going to be bigger. Like, oh, this guy I'm working with, it's not working out well. Or what things do I? How can I make that relationship better? Or with my significant other, how do I do something sweet for them? And so I've actually found that, and then thinking about it, the last part is like, how is my, how do I like, I want my day to look? How do I look forward to my day? And I realized that like, I, I do that the night before and I can talk about some things to uh, make your day better and get more stuff done. But just having in the morning, like literally like 30 seconds and doing the first three things yourself, your work relationships, and then thinking about how do I want this day to look? It's like, awesome. I can make the day exactly how I want it. I can have an epic day versus I think for the most part, and I'd say for this for, you know, it's not, I don't do it every day, the self-diagnostic, but I try to do it most days. But the days I just kind of let happen, I'm always like, sometimes they're good, but sometimes they're bad. And it's like, well, if you you only have so many days, let's say on earth, maybe you only have like, I don't know, 100,000 or 10,000. Like, wouldn't you want to engineer more of those days to be better? And so I try to work backwards from like what elements are great days and so forth. And we can talk more about that later. But the point with the self-diagnostic is like, all right, well, I'm looking forward to this. I'm not looking forward to that. I don't want to do these things. It's like, all right, cool. Let's maybe think about removing that. Okay, let's talk about like how, what. How do you so you do this self diagnostic in the morning? How do you that that question of how do I want my day to look? What sort of things are you looking at to engineer a good day for yourself? Yeah, so I do. I'll tell you what's been what I've been doing recently that's been really interesting. So the the things that have been interesting that have changed the way that my week has have been uh, are a few different components, and and I'll give you a bunch that are that are happening for me, and then you everyone listening and you're up in your earlobes, just pick one that works for you and start with that. But I think the, the whole conceptually is I experiment with how my weeks and days are to maximize my day, maximize my week for enjoyment, fulfillment. Not that it's only just me playing and partying or anything like that, but it's like, 
what things do I know make my days great? What do not work make it great? So here's a few things. Number one, I color code my calendar. So my calendar is color coded based on a few different things. It's like growth, gym, podcast, or OK Dork or my YouTube channel, Sumo, and then admin. And I color code it that way. And, and then really fun. And literally, it's color coded. And what that did is that it helped me look at my calendar and be like, Am I spending my time in the, like, what is my priority? My priority is growing my podcast and helping Sumo and going to the gym. And then literally in an instant, I can see how much I'm allocating towards that and then change it. Like, oh, do I have a bunch of meetings? Oh, I don't really want those meetings. I'm just going to cancel them and so forth. So that, that's been one thing that's been helpful. Two, I do a note card at night. I have a three by five note card that I noticed every morning I was getting anxiety about what to do that day. And so at night, I look at every Sunday, I set my goals for the week. So I have three goals. I have three sections, work, workout, and personal. And I have three, generally three to five for each one of those. And I put them in my calendar and block out time for, to do them. And then at night now, I have, a th- I have an index card, just a crappy ass index card. And I just write a list of the things that I'm doing that next day. And it's one of the things I've always heard about, Brett. And I was like, eh, I'm not going to do it. But doing it has changed everything. Like today, it's like prep for your show and do the show with you read an NPR article, uh, set up some retargeting ads. And just having that in the morning, I'm like, cool, let me go make sure I get these done. And then it just actually made my day like, because some days you ever finish the day and you're like, what did I do today? All the time. And at least all the time. Right? I've just found that like, you know, you got to kind of keep experimenting with your week and adjusting it to make it more effective for yourself and more pleasurable. So two of the things that I've done is that I've scheduled Wednesdays as do nothing Wednesday. And that's been really helpful where... I noticed that like we, when we open a computer or when we get to work, we stop thinking. And a lot of my great ideas or what I think are great or things that have been impactful don't happen when I'm at work or don't happen when I'm on a computer. And so I, take, I took a whole week off as an extreme experiment. I didn't do anything and I didn't plan anything. And I was like, that's a little bit much to do that every week because then it's kind of like you just kind of react to stuff. But I found just taking Wednesdays off and not scheduling anything doesn't mean I can't work. But on Wednesday, I'm like, well, what do I want to do today? Because I don't plan it. I don't have things that are like fixed in there. Uh, it helps me kind of just spend more time thinking about bigger problems for the company or for myself. And I've really enjoyed that. So I think I would encourage people to block out like an hour a day and try it out. Maybe even two, maybe a whole day, maybe a week of doing nothing. And then it'll help you kind of see what's rising to the top and where you want to spend your time. And so I've kind of forced that on myself. Those, are, those have been a few. I mean, I've, I've got a bunch of others. That's kind of like uh, things that I've done that, that helped me get it. I think fundamentally for everyone listening, here's like the stupidest simple thing you could do right now. Get out, have your, open your phone, go on notes, just go to notes and think about the last great day you had and just write out the elements of a great day. Like, so for me, I know it's like, well, if I had to get an interview with you, like this is really fun for me. I love sharing this stuff and talking with you. That's number one. So like creating content. Number two, if I get an exercise, Right. Number three, if I get a flirt or have some type of like interaction with a significant other, I like that. Right. If I get to have like some type of entertainment. And so just think about what are the, and everyone's different, but think about what are the elements of your great day. Right. And then all you have to do is say, all right, how am I doing these elements today? Am I having an exciting lunch? <laughs> right. Am I like you had your, you had your oatmeal and eggs and you seem like you really like that. Uh, it seemed like it. Yeah, it's. I just consider it fuel for, <laughs> for working out. Yeah, well, the point being is figure out what parts of your day you know make your day better. Or think about the last great day you had and what happened that day. And then work backwards and say, all right, these are the elements. Like I've actually put this on a sticky note. And then I'm like, all right, in, in my days, how do I make sure I try to make sure I add these different elements? And, and that stuff will evolve. Maybe things you did in the past. Like right now I'm fasting as a challenge. So I've been fasting for 72 hours. Like I just ate last night. But I was like, 
no, not having breakfast. You know, I'm actually, I can still have a great day even if I don't have breakfast. Well, what do you do? I mean, it's, you know, it's all well and good to plan out these good days, but Mike Tyson said everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. What do you do when something pops up that uh, puts a snag in your plan? How do you adapt and uh, maintain flexibility so it doesn't, you're not frustrated because your plan isn't going according to plan? I, I struggle with that. I, I, it's, you know, the stupid example for me is that let's say Brett, me and you are going to go, uh, go to a certain Mexican restaurant. And then at the last minute, you're like, Hey, actually, can we go somewhere else? And I've already started planning and having like salivating about what we're going to eat. And it's something that I, I wouldn't say I'm great at. I, I generally, I'm, I'm generally a planner and I, and I stick to my plans. And so it, it's working on when to be flexible and when not to be. And I, a lot of people actually ask me like, how do I get so much done? Or and I, sometimes I don't even think I get that much done or how do I stay focused? And I think it's because I, I practice saying no a lot. Uh, the other thing is I don't go to, we have an office for the company and I notice, and I love the people I work with. I, I truly do. I just notice that I get more done and I'm more like effective and less distracted when I'm at home or when I work earlier in the morning. And so I think people need to kind of reflect on like, when are they really in their peak productivity times or when are they not getting distracted from their plan? I think the more important thing for myself is evaluating plans you're doing and seeing if they're still helping you get to where you want to go. Like my mom, for instance, I love my mom. <laughs> we all love our mothers, I hope. Uh, my mom will follow plans, whether they're beneficial to her or not. Like she'll keep doing like a certain gym activity, whether she likes it or not. And it's like, well, why don't you just reevaluate your plan? And so just be self-aware about things you're doing as you're planning them. It's like, is this really helping me go to where I want to be going? And I think that that's been powerful for me. So like as an example for myself is meetings. Like people will be like, hey, I'm coming into town today. Are you around? And I'm like, no. And unless it's something like you know, I think will be really special or really add to my day, I just you have to practice saying no to things. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's an important skill, learning how to say no. And that can be hard. It's hard for people, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, and speaking of like just finding times that uh, you can work when you're not distracted, I often, like, that's one of the reasons why occasionally I'll pull an all-nighter because at nighttime, there's nothing going on. Like you're not getting emails, you're not getting phone calls. The internet is dead for the most part. And I found that some of my most productive times are when like at three o'clock in the morning and I'm able to crank stuff out. So I used to do it more frequently when I was younger and I could like recover faster from the lack of sleep. I don't do it so much now, but every now and then I'll, I'll pull a good all nighter and I'm amazed at how much I can get done during that time. Yeah, I, I think that's a function. I did a 5 a.m. challenge, which I'd encourage everyone to do it and for about two months. And I think that's a function of one, being at a time when you it's quiet for you, right? And I think there's also a second part of finding something that you're actually excited to stay up late for or wake up early for. Like I'm sure when you've launched Strangers Life, like you put a lot of hours into it and it's because you're super excited about it. And so I think sometimes when people are like, oh, I don't have anything to work on. It's like, because you probably have to go find something that you're excited to be working on for late at night or early in the morning. Yeah. And the other tr trick I've used too is I'll go to sometimes if I just need to get some time. Cause like when you're, I have, you know, I have kids, so they're, they want, they need attention oftentimes. And if there's something I need to work I just need un, unadulterated uh, focus. I'll uh, go to a, just a crappy hotel like near the house that has Wi-Fi and just check in and like spend the night. You know, it's like 80 bucks, but I get like 24 hours of uninterrupted work time. Hmm. So that's another you, trick. Dude, I, I like that. I know uh, Andrew Warner was telling me he goes to super fancy hotels to work during the day as like a nice yeah. treat and plus a good experience. The two things I was wondering for you. So one... Do you find, and, and for me, I find myself productive on airplanes. Do you find yourself on airplanes? I, no, I'm not productive on airplanes. I, I've heard that trick. I've heard of people like, I'm so, so you don't have Wi-Fi, so I can get a lot done. 
I don't. I'm just like uncomfortable and it's just not a pleasant experience for me. So I just typically, <laughs> I tend to read. That's what I do. I mean, that's my product. That's what I do. If, especially if I'm traveling with kids, like you're not going to be productive at all. So um, do you, that well, then the second me. part with that, okay. So for airplanes for me are good because no Wi-Fi. So I'm like, well, how do I just have no Wi-Fi during the daytime? And that's where like the block site thing or trying to turn off Wi-Fi during certain hours. The second thing someone told me yesterday, and I love your, your opinion on this, is that do you find having kids the ultimate productivity hack or productivity like thing because now you can't you don't you can't really waste that much time yeah i mean what have you noticed since you've had kids how that changed your productivity yeah it's it's been a boon and also a negative like for one thing like you you have you you can't work as much right um compared to when you were childless so you lose that you lose time also there just can be exhausting they're tiring because you're at the running around everywhere so you don't have the same amount of energy but the time you do have like you try to make the most of it as possible so you don't you don't mess around. You don't do the wheel as often as you used to, maybe. So you're, I, I feel like I have been more productive in the time I have. But yeah, I do miss some of that time where I'm like, okay, it's six o'clock. I can get this done. But now I don't do that because I got to take, you know, I got to coach T-ball or something. Do you coach T-ball? Yeah, I coach T-ball. This is my, it was my, my son's first year playing T-ball and um, I'm the coach. What's that like doing like the Lion King? Where you're now like you're the lion, then he's Simba. I think that's how it is. <laughs> but, no, because like I, you know, I was a kid. I played t-ball and baseball a lot of years. And like now, and we're we're young, relatively young guys. It's like, what's it like to finally now be the father and you're coaching and you see your kid playing t-ball? Well, I mean, it's fun. I mean, right now, like the kids are like five and six, so like we're still like get, trying to get the fundamentals of just them trying to catch and throw the ball, right? And, and I, I basically have no expectations. Like I'm just trying to get some fundamentals in. These past few practices, I've been trying to explain the concept of forced outs. Um, and if you want to test your patience and <laughs> try to explain the concept of forced outs to a to a five year old, um, some of yeah, they're getting it slowly. But yeah, that's another thing about kids; they do definitely teach you more patience, which I do. I think carries over to other aspects of your life, like your business life, right? You learn how to be more patient with people you work with because you've practiced it at home with your kids. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so no, you've, um, you've got a lot of irons in the fire. You're starting gum companies on the side. <laughs> uh, you're eating tacos. You're working out. You've actually packed on, haven't like, like, like 40 pounds of muscle yeah. since you started like working out in Gusto. I actually, yeah, I experiment with my body a lot. And so last year I gained 50 pounds or 40 pounds and lost it. Uh, and then now I've been more or less maintaining that yeah. I mean, so what are you doing? Are you doing barbell training? What are you, what's your, what's your protocol? Uh, you know, I, I think physical fitness and like our nutrition is an evolution, right? And it's funny cause like everyone, people now know it, but like it used to be fat free was the thing. And then now coconut oil and keto and all this other stuff are the things. And I think fasting will be the next thing that a lot more people do, not intermittent, but like literal fasting. And so I think what people have to do is like, what kind of body do you want? <laughs> what kind of health do you want? And then how do you work backwards from that? And so for me, I, I track all my calories. I've been tracking for two years every single day. I use my fitness pal and I just find that really helpful for myself. That's not for everyone, but I I like that. And I think the two major parts, people ignore their diet, but for diet, find a diet that likes is sustainable. Like my mom does the watermelon diet. She eats watermelon for like a month and then she loses a bunch of weight. And then the next month she eats pizza and burgers and gains it all back. And there's no point. <laughs> and so I, the bigger thing there is like, how do you find, you know, breakfast, snacks, lunch, dinner that you can do for a long time. And you're also happy with, like, I don't want to get hit by a car today after the show 
and they'd be like, man, I really wish I would have had a cookie, but I never had a cookie. So I had a body because I had this sexy body. Like what's actually, you want to hear something really counterintuitive. I went, I really wanted a six pack. So I worked my ass off, which was, it, you don't realize how much work it takes to get that. It's an, a lot. And I literally was probably one of the least happy times of my life. And I was like, man, I got this physical body that I'm so happy about. Well, I'm, I should have been happy about, but I'm like not happy in general because my libido is down, my energy's down. Like I can't eat anything. I'm like, that kind of defeats the whole purpose of this. And so I've kind of wanted to find that happy medium where I have a body that I physically like, but I'm also like, I can indulge at times. So I think where I'm leaning towards is like a six, one strategy where six days a week, I eat really well. And then one day a week, I either eat really crappy or I fast. And so that's kind of what I'm experimenting with now. And probably next time we chat, it might be a little different, but my, you know, my diet's pretty like egg white, chicken, vegetables. And then, you know, here and there are some drinks and here and there, uh, you know, creme brulee. Right. Right. And then, uh, at the gym, the gym is boring for me, man. Like I've been going to the gym five years and it's just so damn boring. Like I literally feel like I'm in a prison jail and I'm like with the boys and like we're pumping iron and I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm paying to be in this jail cell. And so you kind of have to figure out how do I get the results without necessarily having to go to the gym. Uh, and so for me, what I've done is a few things. One, I, I bike now. I, I just love being outside biking. It's been a, like either mountain biking or regular. And so, or you know, even on the, uh, the road bike in, the, in my building. So I target about 200 miles a month in biking, which has kind of encouraged me to, I use a run keeper and it, it has a thing where it's all free. It says how many miles you want to run or bike this month. And I say 200 and it kind of motivates me during the day to bike instead of use my scooter or drive. And then the gym, what I found works for me, and it's not works for everybody. I go three times a week, and I want a big arm and a big chest because that I, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm just trying to look strong. <laughs> like I know myself. I don't. I don't want to lift up a car. Like if you ever get a car, like a cars on top of you, which I don't know how often that happens. Like don't look to me. Right, I look to probably a woman who's going to be a lot stronger. And <laughs> so I just want to look strong. So I want my chest to be big and I want my arms to be big because that's the things that people see. So Mondays I do chest day. Uh, Wednesdays I'll do like a circuit and then Saturdays I'll do a circuit. The circuit on Wednesdays are like around every other part, not legs. And then Saturdays kind of like a circuit around legs, which means I just do high intensity kind of like lighter weight, a lot of reps, really, really fast pace. Uh, and generally I want my workouts to be very painful and very uncomfortable. So I'm not, not to a point where I won't want to come back. Cause I think that's discouraging, but to a point where I'm like, man, I, I pushed myself and I'm like that last rep was the, the rep that counted. Right, and now that that I've gotten a body where I'm happy with it now. Yeah, well, yeah, that's your thing. Yeah, I I I enjoy the. I have a I have a garage gym, so that's that's my little that's my safe place. I love going down there and training. I do the same thing week in and week out, but it's just I don't know for some reason I enjoy it. You, I, you know, it's amazing. My one of my best friends is Adam from MyBodyTutor.com. I don't know if you've talked to him or, or aware of him, but he is like that. Where he literally his weeks are almost always the same. And I think you, the, the point you've made, which is great, I kind of like, I don't know if you intended that, is that like you have to know yourself and embrace that. So for me, doing the same exercise every week is just not not my nature, not not even by nature. Nature can change, but it's not what I'm interested in. And so I have to find like, how do I do something for six months that I'm interested in and then kind of continually evolve that, which that, that part does work for me. Yeah. Well, so you've mentioned some tools you use to manage how you get so much done. So you use a calendar. I'm I'm assuming that's like Google Calendar or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Google Calendar. Google Calendar. You use MyFitnessPal to track macros. I mean, uh, you use the the cards to manage your to-do list. Any other tools that you use to ensure that everything gets done and done well? Yeah. So I'll give you I've talked about a few of them. Like the, the note cards was a game changer. Like I started doing that last year and it just made my productivity a lot more effective. Uh, 
Number two is every Sunday night, I plan out my week. And it's kind of these things where it's like, take a big goal that you want in your life, getting married, something professional, something on your health. And I do it for a year. I, I do a yearly bucket list and I put it on my fridge so I can see it right now. And one of my bucket list ones is to bike a thousand miles this year, or it's to go work in Israel uh, or to get a chess coach and then break that down to monthly and then break it down to weekly. So every week I say, what are my three categories in my three categories, work, work out and personal. And then I pick the things I want to do. And then I block them out in my calendar. And then I do note cards the night before. And sometimes it's like, oh, there's actually a higher priority thing that I can think of that would make a bigger difference towards my yearly goals. So that's number one, kind of the Sunday thing. Number two, hire an assistant. And I was talking with people about it last night at dinner, and it's not about being rich. And you can get an assistant that's a friend of yours who's unemployed. Like I have a friend, he's unemployed right now, so I paid him to go pick up my clothes and take him to Goodwill. So he gets money, right? I pay him like 20, 25 an hour, and I get my stuff taken care of. And that gives me more time. And so I'm putting a video on, on my YouTube channel, Noah Kagan, uh, for people who want to see more how to do it. But the point is like, Time is your most precious asset. Like it's literally the most precious asset. And I, when people said it, I've never really believed it. But as, now that I'm 35 and I will never be 25 again, unless some crazy science, I don't know, maybe Brett, you'll invent it or someone will invent it, I hope. Uh, I'll probably not ever be 25 again. And it's this kind of a realization of, oh my God, time really doesn't come back. And like after my father died, I was even, it was even more clear. I was like, oh my God, it's really not coming back. Like it's a one-way street. And so an assistant basically gives you more time to do the things you want to do. So you can use fancy hands. I'm using a service called fin.com, which is kind of pricey. You could find someone on Odesk or freelancer and basically figure out how do you get more time, right? And the, the most valuable asset is by hiring people. So hire an assistant or, or people around you to assist you so you can spend time doing what you want. Two other things that have really helped me get more done. I'll, I'll do three, if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, number one, turn off all your notifications and vibrations on your phone. <laughs> like, I think people are just too damn distracted. They're like, oh, I've got a buzz. All right, I got to go do this now. And I think you just turn off all this stuff. You don't miss it and you don't think, you start just focusing on the things that are mattering at that moment in general. And you stop being, I think anyone who could focus longer than a minute these days wins. <laughs> like no joke. If you can focus longer than a minute, you're probably going to do better than most people. And for me, I found turning off my vibration. So I don't know when phone calls come. I don't know when texts come. And when I want to check them, I check them. And so that I found that to be a huge way to get more stuff done that I want to get done. Two other ones, and I have a bunch more, but these are one of the major things. Learn how to type faster and speed up your mouse speed, like your trackpad or your mouse. Like, and the concept here is focus on the focus on the top of the funnel things for your life. Meaning, where what is the foundation or fundamental bottom thing that you're spending that everything comes from? So here's another one: your bed. Like I spent, I don't know, three, 4,000 on my bed and my sheets and my pillow and I've tested them. I've literally tested them for the past few years and I'll keep testing them because if I can have a great sleep, the whole rest of my day is better. And same thing with learning how to type better. Like there's a service typingbolt.com. It's totally free. Or, you know, I used to do it typing shark. But the point being is like your trackpad, like you're using your trackpad all day or you're using your keyboard all day, like focus on improving your foundational items and that'll everything else subsequently in your funnel and in your life do better. And then lastly, uh, this is one thing that I've been really, really thinking about, and I'm, I'm working on it myself. I can't say I have it great, but work on what your vision looks like. And it doesn't have to be 10 years out. That's Sometimes that's hard, but just figure out like, where do you want to go right? in, all the, in different aspects of your life? Like, I want to have a kid, or I want to have this kind of money, or I want to live here, or I want this thing. And then just write that shit down. Put it on a piece of paper, put it on your fridge, put it on your phone, put it, or put it on your computer. And the more that you have clarity about where you want to go, in my belief, it helps you say no and not do other things that don't align to that. 
And so that, that'll help you get more done. Cause you're like, is this like, so right now, one of my goals is to get my podcast to a hundred thousand listens of download, right? On the Noah Kagan presents. And it's like, as I'm doing things, I'm like, does this help me get towards that or not? And same with Sumo. We have, Sumo has its own revenue goals and there's decisions like, does this help us get to that or not? And then it makes it easy to kind of say, yes, this is on that side of the line. Let's do it. This is not, let's not do that. And I think you got to start at, at that clarity because then you work backwards from what things are really aligning to that and helping me get closer to that or further away from it. That's some great stuff. Well, no, there's a lot more we could talk about, but you've written about this on different places on the web. Where can people find out more about your work? Yeah, so I have No Kagan Presents podcast if they want to hear more of my stories. A lot of it is just me showcasing great products or great people uh, that I'm interested in, like Mike Posner, who's an artist, or I met with Aubrey Marcus, who uh, started a, you know, this very large supplement company called Onnit. For marketing tips, I run a blog called okdork.com where I just share stories about marketing and business. And then the companies that I started that I help run is AppSumo.com, which is a Groupon for geeks, and Sumo.com, which are free tools to grow your email list. Fantastic. Well, Noah Kagan, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. My guest today was Noah Kagan. He is the CEO of AppSumo. You can find more information about that at AppSumo.com if you're a business owner. A lot of great tools there. Also, you can read his musings about business and life at OKDork.com. Also, check out our show notes at AOM.is slash Kagan. That's K-A-G-A-N, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, I've gotten something out of it. I'd appreciate it if you take one or two minutes to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever else it is you use to listen to the podcast. That helps us out a lot. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.